My favorite though is to say, okay, listen, Mr. Seller, you say that you've got a hundred thousand in equity here, but you need to sell it today. If I can give you your hundred thousand in equity, how much do you need right now? Can I pay you the rest whenever I refinance this property or my buyer refinances the property? And if they say okay to that, you've got a no interest loan in most cases that may go out for several years. So yeah, that's a very real possibility. Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and I am really excited about the conversation we're about to have today. This is a topic that we have yet to cover on all of my podcasts with our investors into short-term rentals. And I've got Mr. William Tingle joining us today. And William's an expert on subject to deals and creative financing. So William, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, having a conversation about this with our audience. Well, thanks, Sean, so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to be here today and uh, to talk to all of your uh, listeners about creative finance. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fun conversation. Um, like I said, we haven't covered this yet on our on our podcast, and for a lot of different reasons. But um, it's so I'm gonna ask you. We'll, we'll get into the details of that very soon. But you and I, um, you actually had me on your podcast recently, and we got to chatting and thought that this would be a really great conversation, a great topic for our audience. So super excited about that. So, but before we dive into all of the details about subject to creative financing, ways that we can use that to build our portfolio, can we get a little bit more knowledge on who William Tingle is, where you, you know, where you're from, where you got started and why you, you know, what, how the roads all led you down this path? Sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I, I, this is what I like to tell people about me and how I got started. Next to, in the dictionary, if I can do it, anyone can do it. There's a picture of me, okay? <laughs> uh, and I'm making a super long story really short. I quit school in the ninth grade, uh, lived by my wits until I was 18, and got into taking whatever job I could, found myself at 20 in the restaurant business, and anybody that's ever done that knows if you work hard, you can move up the ladder very quickly. So I found myself 20 years later, 40 years old, uh, in the restaurant business, working 70 hours a week, uh, made pretty good money, especially for a ninth grader. Uh, you know, we were making, I don't know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, but I never had any time to do anything. And I was so frustrated and so sick of everything. One night I ordered a Carlton Sheets real estate training course off late night TV. And most of you people that follow you are probably too young to remember. No, I'm very, I, I had that exact same cassette tapes, all of the, the right. folders. So I'm, I'm with you. So maybe I, those that, that are a little young, I'm with you with the Carlton uh, sheets. I was right there. I had the green binder with the cassette tapes yeah. and, and I would drive around after I bought it. You know, I was, a, I was a district manager. So I drove from store to store and I'd listen to those tapes over and over and over. And I just did what the course said. He said, cold call, Fizbo's in the newspaper, man, that is the toughest sell in the world. They're too cheap for a realtor. They're running an ad to sell their house. But you know what? I did it every day. And a month later, I bought my first house and I bought my second house, my third house. And I said, wow, this might really work. And uh, after I bought a few houses, I realized that even though I had decent credit, the bank was only going to loan me money on so many houses and I had to find another way. And that's when I've discovered creative finance. And once I discovered subject two, that's all I needed, man. I just took off and I started getting the deed. And here we are, you know, 20 plus years later now. And that's that's all I do. 
That's awesome. And, and so that, you know, those people who listen to me, we, we invest in short-term rentals and there's a lot of people out there who invest and in, in talk about making money with short-term rentals, making money with Airbnbs without owning the house. The right. caveat for us is we're very big into the ownership model. I'm a big believer that owning these properties is really the way to create long-term wealth. And so when you're talking about creative financing, specifically subject to deals, that's actually being able to still own these properties, right? You're actually, you just mentioned, you're taking the deed to these houses and you're running down that ownership side of life. And so this is another way for a lot of us as investors, like we you said, to we, we save up for those down payments. We have to qualify for the loans. We have to do all these different things. And eventually, sometimes the, the, all those loans and all those all those mortgages start to stack up and the banks say, ah, we're, we're getting, you know, maybe we don't want to lend anymore. And this is a way to continue to scale. And so, just so that for those people that are not familiar with subject to or creative financing or seller financing, they're all kind of different, right? Seller financing is a little different than subject to lease options, whatever they are. Let's dive into just on the surface and a very basic level. Could we talk about what subject to deals really are and what that means? Sure. Uh, sub two to me, uh, the most, uh, the, the the deal that we typically do is going to be a homeowner that has gone out, they've gotten a 30-year mortgage at a fixed rate, and something's happened in their life. Either they've gotten a divorce, they've got, uh, they've been fired from their job, they're in foreclosure, something's happened that causes a need for them to sell this property. And they're willing to deed that property to us and let us take over the payments on these long-term fixed rate loans, which is great because if I've got a house with long-term fixed rate financing in place, I don't have to worry about adjustable rates. I don't have to worry about refinancing in three or four years. If I've got an investor loan, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff man, my exit strategy options are endless. I can live yeah. in the house. I can rent it out as a long-term rental. I can sell it with seller financing, which is my favorite. And you can certainly do short-term rentals. on Yeah. On so, yeah. And I think you just hit on a key point of what I get so excited about when you have that, when you have that option and the financings in places is your exit strategies are endless, right? There are a lot of exit strategies that can work. And well, you know, we know what's happened with interest rates recently and in the last year or so they've skyrocketed, but there are still a lot of homeowners who have pretty dang low interest rates, relatively speaking to where, where they're at right now that we can go find. And you, like you mentioned, not every person's going to want to do this, but there's a lot of people who just need to get out of a house. And in uh, you and I were talking on your podcast, I think even after we hit, um, you know, we were done and I said, What's really exciting for me about this is there's going to be a lot more deals. And in our world of short-term rental investing, there's a lot of investors who got into the game when it got really popular during those COVID years, right? And it, it just, it, the popularity exploded. Everybody got into the game and having a short-term rental was like having toilet paper during COVID. Everybody made money. And then there's a lot of people right now that are realizing, okay, markets are coming back down to normal levels. And only the top 20% of people are making money. And if you don't know how to be in that top 20%, it can be really lucrative at the top. But if you're in the middle of the market, you're like, man, this wasn't, this isn't what it was cracked up to be. Everything changed on me. And I my when when we hear that and you hear those sellers that are maybe in distress or they have an asset that they don't really like anymore, that's a that's a golden opportunity to go have some of these conversations about them 
keeping that mortgage in place, taking that mortgage over, having some long-term financing, and then actually going and running your business the way that we know how to do it to operate in the top 20%. So my opinion, there's a lot more deals that we're going to start seeing that are going to be you know, lining up for creative financing, seller financing, subject to deals. For sure. And, and the exciting thing about creative finance is someone can call me today with a fully leveraged property. Let's say they bought it last year when people were paying over market value. Yeah. Now they have to get out of it. Maybe they even owe a little more than that property's worth today on the retail market, but they're sitting on a 2.8 or a 2.9 interest loan. Gosh, I can take over the payments on that and I can do short-term rental. I can do long-term rental. Gee, I can sell or finance that thing at, yeah. at rates that are competitive with the bank and make a ton of money. Yeah. And, and that's where I got so excited. And because, um, and I and I know that these deals have always been around, right? There's always sellers that need to get out of houses for whatever reason. Like people always say, well, nobody's going to do that. And that's not true. It doesn't really matter where the market's at, right? People get transferred for jobs. People have, you know, go through divorces. People have all different reasons of why they would just sell the house and not throw it on the retail market. The retail market the last few years has been such where, yeah, you could throw it up and you're going to get a lot more than asking price, right? In in a lot of markets. And so it may it what these deals were a little bit maybe tougher to find in that environment. But do you do you see is my inclination right? Because this isn't what we do on a regular basis. Are you finding that there's more deals coming available now than there was the last few years? Oh, for sure. I mean, during the two years of COVID, especially when there was a foreclosure moratorium, yeah. uh, it was it was difficult. I mean, you really had to dig for something. But now that's off. Uh, student loan payments are starting back up in October. Uh, people are hurting right now financially. We see the foreclosures here just in the two counties we work, work have doubled just in the last two or three months. So, yeah, the banks are starting uh, to increase the number of foreclosures that they're doing out there. People are ready to move their houses and, and make a change. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't, this is not exclusive to somebody that is in foreclosure or missing their payments, right? It just means somebody wants to get rid of their house and they, they're, they don't have another a better option. They might be upside down a little bit. They don't want to come out of pocket to sell. Maybe they're trying to avoid capital gains, right? Yeah. They there are a lot of people who will carry a contract and or do a subject to deal because they're like, I don't want the I don't want all my equity out right now. Right. right? right. And we, and so we buy just as many houses from people who aren't behind in payments yeah. yet, but they have some other compelling reason. Sure. Either they've married and they're moving into one house. They need to get rid of the other one. Uh, it could be a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So let's unpack the, because one, a lot of people want to know, well, why would somebody do that, right? There's there's a number of reasons why people would do it. And so let's assume we can find the people that want to do it, right? They're like, and in our world, I hear all the time. I just had somebody yesterday because I said I send out an email to a list and I say, hey, listen, we're, you know, I gave a case study of how one of our students is really making a lot of money with this. And somebody replied back and said, hey, you can have mine. I'm not doing very well. So if you want to buy mine, you know, and I looked it up, has a lot of potential to make money. They're not doing a few things that they should be on the marketing side, but we can recognize that they're in distress, I'm going to reach out to them. And I did reach out to him and said, Hey, send me the rest of the details. I might be interested in the property. Right. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be a bad property. It doesn't mean that it's not going to perform. It means that that person 
doesn't want the property anymore for whatever reason. They've got a compelling reason to get rid of it. And in, and in this person's case, they were losing money on it. It was a drain for them financially because they weren't making money with it. Right. Well, you know, you run into people all the time that are either poor property managers or something else has taken a priority over this property. Maybe they're having personal problems, problems in their relationship, problems at work, something else. And it's really just put this investing on the back burner. Uh, I've bought many properties from investors who, for one reason or another, just wanted to get rid of this particular one. So, you know, that happens. Yeah. On like a lot of the things that I hear about a lot are, well, you can't do that. That's not something the bank's going to let you do. You're not allowed to do that. You're not in a transfer title to a property that already has a mortgage on it. And and I know that as being in this game, I'm sure that's num- one of the number one things that you hear. How would you answer that for those people that are listening, thinking, how does this quite work? Well, the first thing you have to know is the difference between the deed and the mortgage. A lot of people don't understand that. They're two different documents. Uh, you sign a stack of documents this thick when you buy a house, but the two primary ones are number one, uh, the deed. The document, the, the seller is going to sign a deed over to you to give you ownership, and you're then you're going to sign a mortgage or a deed of trust or a security deed, depending on what state you're in, to the bank, giving them security against that Mm -hmm. property if you don't pay for the loan that you took out to buy it. So those two things are important. Now, in in pretty much 100% of the mortgages out there, there's something called a due-on-sale clause that says, if any interest in this property is transferred without our approval, we can call the loan due at any time. It's in every mortgage. It exists. It's an agreement you have with the bank that Mm -hmm. you won't sell the property without their approval or or give any part of it to anyone else, with a few exceptions uh, in the Garn St. Germain Act, which is a whole other story. But at any rate, most people become confused with the difference between a contract clause and a law, okay? You're not breaking any law if you sell your property. You can deed it to anyone you want to. Uh, As long as they'll make the payments on that loan, everything's going to be okay. I've been buying subject to for over 20 years. I've never had a loan call due. Can they do it? Yes. Is it important that you're aware of that slight risk? Yes. But will it be a problem? Chances are, as long as you make your payments on time and insure the property properly, no, it won't be any problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. We see the same thing just on the investor side when we transfer the deed to an LLC, for example, or an entity, right? I mean, it's the exact same, the exact same risk you're taking when you do that is because technically ownership changed. Even if you are controlling that LLC, ownership changed. The due on sale clause could be could be triggered. And I've been doing this for 23 years and we do that on every property that we own. And I've yet to find or even hear about one that's been triggered. Now, knock on wood, we'll start hearing about it maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think so because we're uh, it's been a, a common practice. Banks know that banks know that it happens as well. They want they want to make sure that they're secured with a good piece of property and somebody's making the payments. And yeah. so and and you're not removing them off of their security, like their security stays in place. They still have a lien on that property, right? right. And which, but, you know, the banks make loans for a return for their yes. investors and, and profit. And, and really, okay, they've got a rule in there. They want you to follow. If you don't follow it, will there be a problem? Listen, they want to get paid. The Subject two is not a secret. It's not like the banks don't yeah. know about it. We yeah. talk a lot about it. They know what's going on but they want to get paid. So will we see a problem with rising interest rates? That's the big thing you hear people talk about. 
At 7%, as opposed to all the 3% loans that are out there, I don't think that's a worthwhile venture for them just because of the cost of ownership, the yep. risk of ownership, vandalism, everything else. Uh, if interest rates get to 10 or over, will we see a problem? Who knows? Uh, yeah. That remains to be seen. But I don't think there's going to be a problem anytime soon with it. Yeah. So when we, so as an investor, like when, and I'm looking to use it to build my portfolio and I'm saying, okay, how, what, what are the things I should be looking for, for those sellers that may or may not like that, at least the ones that are worth talking to, do I be calling every single property I, I find on the MLS that looks good? Or are there certain things that you're looking for as an investor to, to give you some indications that they may be interested in talking about this type of a structure? We actually target a couple of different sellers these days for the most uh, the most likelihood that they'll be interested in talking. One of the, the the targeted sellers we follow are people that have been listed on the MLS for over ninety days. Yeah, if that property's been listed for over ninety days, if it's vacant, that's a big plus, and we can see that looking in the MLS if it's vacant or occupied. Uh, we look for terms like motivated seller, bring all offers as is those types of situations. And then we use some proprietary software, a prop stream, some other things like that to see, uh, we can tell when they bought the property, how much equity they have, what their loan balance is compared to their sales price. Yeah. Uh, if you've got somebody that's got a house listed for 300,000 and they bought it last year for 275 and it's listed for 300, you can do the math and see that they're barely making any money after they pay the realtor. They're a prime suspect for what yeah. we offer. We can pay them for their equity and, and take that property. Uh, people in foreclosure, uh, we, we go door knocking. We actually knock on the doors, try to have a conversation with them. Uh, so we buy houses also that way. Do you find that, how often do you find that the that you do the kind of a hybrid approach where you actually do pay for upfront some of the equity or maybe they sell or finance some of their equity and then you take the rest over subject to when you when you kind of structure those hybrid models? Be, you know, because as an investor buying properties, I'm, I'm usually budgeting 10, 20, 25% down. And so if somebody has equity, I could take you know, that 10 or 15% down, give it to the seller sometimes, and then take the rest of the loan over. And then I can pick up a three and a half or 4% mortgage rather than going and getting a 7% mortgage. Right. Well, you can certainly do that. And we've done that many times in the past. A lot of times if they've got equity, uh, you know, that's a big selling point for them. Listen, we can pay you your asking price. How much do you need now? Can you right. wait on part of it? And then you can even negotiate a great no interest loan with payments with zero interest. My favorite, though, is to say, OK, listen, Mr. Seller, you say that you've got 100000 in equity here, but you need to sell it today. If I can give you your 100000 in equity, how much do you need right now? Can I pay you the rest whenever I refinance this property or my buyer refinances the property? And if they say okay to that, you've got a no interest loan in most cases that may go out for several years. So yeah, that's a very real possibility. Yeah, I love it. And I and I I would assume, like we talked about when you're negotiating some of these things and you're looking at these properties, you probably have a pretty good idea of your exit strategy on each individual property you're looking at um, before you go into it. My exit strategy, 101% of the time right now, uh, is seller financing. Yeah. That's, I love seller financing. I'm not a landlord. I, I love being a lean lord. That's what I call it. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, they don't call me if there's a problem. They just pay me. And, yeah. and I think that's the greatest thing in the world. So I'm curious on when you do that in, in the structure that you do, if you, you go out and find a seller, you buy a property subject to the deeds now in your name, and then you go seller finance it. Are you seller financing it through like a lease option or are you actually transferring the deed to the new seller or the new buyer as well? So you're transferring that deed again. We do a land contract or a contract for deed. We don't transfer legal title at this time. We transfer equitable title. We have a closing at a title company. Uh, they can uh, claim a homestead exemption on that property if they want to. They write off the interest on their taxes, but yeah. we don't transfer to legal title. We hang on to that. It's a lot like buying a car. If you go buy a car in most states, uh, you get the use of the car. It's yours. You can call it your own, but the bank won't give you title until you make that last payment. And that's how we do a land contract. Okay. Yeah. So different than the way that you're purchasing it because you want to actually take, you actually want to take title to that property when you actually purchase it though. We actually, we want to be on title, but yeah. we sell it and we hold title, but we hold everything we buy in a trust. We always yeah. take title in a trust. Yeah. Awesome. This is so and I know that those of you listening, this might be some new things that you're that you're hearing, which is was was my goal with this conversation with William was to really start to, you know, pique your curiosity on is this something and is this a method that I could use to really accelerate my portfolio, you know, building my portfolio, being able to take advantage of some of those people that got into the short term rental game and don't really like the game, right? They didn't, they got into it. They rode the wave, the wave's going out and they don't want to really take it serious. I just, there's a lot of people that have pretty dang good credit. They've got some, they bought these properties. Maybe they have some equity, maybe they don't, but they're they're not necessarily like, okay, I'm going to foreclose in, in, in such a distressed situation. They're just in a distressed situation because they have an asset that they don't live in. It's like a second home that they thought was going to be an investment that's costing them money every month. That's a that's a good situation to go into some of these markets and pick up some of these deals. And so, but you know, you probably don't know all the details of the deal. And William, you and I talk about it. It's like it's not really rocket science, but even as people are listening to you talk about it and we're kind of unpacking some of the the structure of it, it's still going to be confusing, right? It's you're going to doubt yourself on where they, you know, to be able to really pull this off. And I know you've got some really great resources. You've got some things that you can, you know, that, that people can dive into. Can we talk a little bit about that? If somebody is like, hey, this seems like a really good opportunity right now to really learn a new skill set to go pick up some properties and be able to get some financing um, in a kind of unconventional way on these properties, where where would you point somebody? Where where can they go look and, and where where would you point them? Well, the first thing they can do is just check out our YouTube channel. We release videos almost every day on some aspect of creative finance. And you can do that at sub2tv.com. That's S-U-B, the number two, tv.com. Uh, secondly, I would tell them uh, if they want to check out courses and training materials, they can check us out at Sub2 University. And that's S-U-B, the number two, university.com. We've got a lot of different products and training there for any budget. That's awesome. And, and I, guys, I've gone, I've checked, I've checked out William's stuff. It's really, it's really comprehensive. You're going to pick up a wealth of information and knowledge just from the YouTube channel. He's, he's on there. He's providing a lot of content on a regular basis. And then he's got some amazing um, trainings that are very, very affordable um, for those of you getting into it and really being able to 
you know, add another tool to your tool chest and your tool belt to say here, how can I really go expand my portfolio, really take advantage of some of the things that are going on in the market right now. And so, you know, William, I'm really, I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. This has been really, again, it's a topic I haven't talked a lot about on our podcast and because I've done a lot of creative financing deals, I've purchased, I started buying a lot of properties with lease options. Um, I, I did the same Carlton sheet stuff when I was, you know, younger. And then, and then I met a guy that would do a lot of lease options, started buying and, and then reselling lease options. But, you know, the sub two deals I really like because of the ownership model of it. And, you know, for us as investors, there's a, there's some significant tax advantages owning short-term rentals, there's some tax loopholes, and we can't take advantage of that unless we own the properties. And so understanding how to do a sub two deal is different because you actually are taking ownership of that property. You can now take advantage of the, you know, the depreciation and the tax benefits of, of having these types of properties. So um, we will post all of those, um, all of those links in the show notes, William, the um, on sub two TV on the YouTube and the it's sub and then the number two on all those things and that's sub two university so that you guys can go get access to some of those trainings and and learn from somebody like William who's done this for a long time and does deals every single day. One thing I like about you when we were talking is you know last time we talked I think you said you bought three properties in the last week and I was like you know you're you're out there doing it right this is what you do right I, I love real estate I'll tell you I took to it like a duck takes to water. And and I love buying real estate. I'll tell you, we we had a closing last week. We've got a closing this week on a land contract. And just to give you some idea of some numbers, uh, yeah. Because if you're like me, you love those. Love it. Uh, we bought a pre foreclosure last month. This lady, an interesting story. She bought the house seven years ago during COVID. She got behind. She got a loan modification for twenty two thousand dollars in October of last year. Uh, they put twenty two thousand dollars on the back end of the loan. She still didn't make any payments. She reaches out to us in March uh, and we went and bought her house. We paid $12,000. She said, she just, I just want to be rid of it. Now she hadn't, at that point, she'd lived there for two years without making a payment. So yeah. she just wanted out. We paid $12,000 to reinstate that mortgage. And we've got a buyer that's coming in that's giving us $15,000 down. So we got money on the front end and our cash flow in that house will be $600 a month. That's now, awesome. listen to this. She had a 30-year note. She's seven years in. We've got 23 years left on that note. We wrote our note for our uh, land contract buyer at 40 years. Okay. Yeah. We write 40-year notes. Cash flow $600 a month. Do the math on that. We'll make 70 or 80 grand on that house if they refinance us in 36 months. Uh, we bought it for around $150. we are selling it for $215, which is market value. So. Wow, that's awesome! It, it hugely powerful. I'm sure you got story after story. I've read a lot of those stories. I'm I'm familiar with um, other investors that that's the 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 game that they play and how they how they can really, I mean, you can really accelerate your wealth building with this type of a strategy. Just really understanding this strategy alone, and then you figure out on the back end what exit strategy works the best for you. Like for for me, I would be probably doing it and holding in my portfolio of short-term rentals and building the, you know, the, the short-term rental side of it. That doesn't mean that you don't have other options. Like you said, you're, you're reselling them on seller financing. And there's a lot of people right now that, you know, 
they're they're priced out of houses or they they have whatever reason they can't go get a real traditional loan and they but they're great buyers right and they're they're great buyers for you and they they're going to most likely refinance we know that you know that person's not going to hold the note for 40 years they're most likely going to sell or refinance right sure they probably and, will we base every sale that we make we don't put balloons in our notes uh, we we want, want them to pass forever if they will, right. but most people are going to refinance or sell the house in about seven years. Most yeah, people. that's awesome. And that's that's industry average on what how long people stay in a regular mortgage, right? It's somewhere around five to seven years is what I've what I've read, um, depending on when what what uh, report I'm reading, but somewhere in that five to seven year range. Right. So awesome, William. Well, listen, I um, I always ask this question at the end of every episode. And this is going to be, I'm really excited for to ask you because you've been around doing this for a long time. And I always ask if you had to go back and get, you know, give your 25 year old self some advice and knowing what you know now, being in the game as long as you've been in it, is there anything that comes to mind of what you would like to go back and say, here's, here's what I would pay attention to, or here's what I would do differently if I could and know this at 25 versus where I'm at right now? You know, most of us, especially in our age bracket, grew up thinking safe, secure job. Okay. And I'll tell you, there's nothing safe or secure about a job. They can put you out in a second. The way you're going to get wealthy, the way you're going to have the life that you want to have is by striking out and doing something for yourself. I waited until I was almost 40 years old. These guys that are doing it now, 20 and 25, man, I'm so envious of them. Yeah. That is exactly what I would say. Don't be afraid. Your biggest risk is just staying in that grind. Get yeah. out there, take a risk and do something for yourself. Don't I worry. love it. I, I love it. And it's, and honestly, it's the number one piece of advice we hear. It's, mm-hmm. I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have started sooner. And uh, in fact, I had a, a conversation with a 27 year old uh, earlier today. He's thinking about getting into the investing game and, and we were talking and kind of strategizing on how he did it. And I said, you know, I'm really, it's really awesome. And I get so excited talking to somebody that's still in their twenties, because a lot of times we don't think about this until we're in our forties or fifties. And we're like, ah, what I was doing isn't probably going to cut it. And I'm, I've got, you know, 15, 20 years left of my earning. I need to do something different. And so love it, love the advice. And it's, it's by far and away, the number one answer we get is just go do something sooner and make sure that you're taking responsibility for your financial future, right? right? Cause nobody right. else is going, nobody else is going to come in and save you. You've got to take responsibility one way or the other and get started as soon as possible. You know, the best time to buy real estate or anything else was yesterday. Next right. best time is today, right? That's exactly right. And so awesome, William. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Those of you that are listening, we know how valuable your time is and we always appreciate you spending it with us. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd sure love you to give us a thumbs up, a like. And if you have more than 30 seconds, leave us a review. Those things really do help. If you're listening on the podcast, go check us out on YouTube. And it's at Real Sean Moore on YouTube. And sometimes we get different uh, different things are picked up differently when we can see things visually, put some faces to names. If you're on YouTube and you want to listen on your drives, go subscribe to Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. We always appreciate that. And we always appreciate the likes and shares. They very, very much help us get this and spread this message out. And so at the end of every episode, you guys know I leave you with one challenge and that is go pick one thing you can do today. Start building that life you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.
Hey Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.